folks, welcome to another episode of After Backboard. Firstly, just a big thanks to all the followers and everyone that's listening in Spotify. It's much appreciated. Uh, you've just seen from the page, this is a bonus episode because we've smashed the 500 barrier and we're now releasing this episode. So, here we go. What an introduction for this man, for this gentleman. A TV commentator in the international hockey scene. He's covered Olympics worldwide for 25 years, earning the nickname of the Boys of Hockey. Nick's also uh, covered more than 300 games with regards to Euro Hockey League, three Olympics being in London, Sydney and Athens. He also writes a column in the weekly UK-based hockey paper. Fantastic to have you on this afternoon. Nick Irvin, how are we doing, Nick? Great to have you on board, sir. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on, and uh, congratulations on this great innovation of yours in uh, this remarkable period of lockdown we all find ourselves in. Bright and sunny down here in uh, in Oxfordshire. I hope it's the same up there with you. Nick, I'm in sunny Paisley just now, unfortunately stuck inside, but hopefully in due course we'll get back to playing hockey and getting back to our daily daily routines of interacting with everyone outside. But uh, firstly, Nick, I gave you a wee brief introduction, but if you can just elaborate a bit more there, Nick, with regards to just letting the listeners know uh, what it is you do with regards to your commentary work and how you got involved in it, Nick. Well, I've been lucky enough to uh, have the best seat in hockey stadia around the, around the globe, but particularly nowadays more in, in Europe, for uh, well over 30 years. And it all came about by a remarkable bit of serendipity, really, when I was... Uh, working at English Hockey, or the Hockey Association, as it was called in those days. Uh, I arrived there in uh, July 1988, and uh, those hockey followers will know that 88 was a, an Olympic year, and not just an Olympic year, but the year that to the Great Britain men's team won the gold medal in Seoul. So all of a sudden, there's a great deal of media interest, and on about the... The Tuesday, I think it would have been, or the Wednesday after the uh, the games had been completed, I was in the office and uh, took a call from a guy called Peter Barraclef. Peter was running this sports at one of our uh, English television companies down here, uh, Television Southwest, and he had realised that with the English National League about to have its first season, that his local team, Isca, down in Exeter, were about to play Southgate on the first weekend of the newly formed Pound Stretcher National Hockey League. And uh, Southgate, I think, were providing five, if not six, of the Olympic squad. So it was a big event for the Southwest. And he asked me if I, I could give him the list of commentators that we had. So I trotted out the list. It was quite a short list. Barry Davis, Ron Jones and uh, Nigel Starmer-Smith and gave him the respective contact numbers for those guys. A few days later, he got back to me and said that uh, he hadn't had any success. Uh, the guys were either on the way back from uh, Seoul still or were unavailable. So uh, who was next on the list, he asked. Uh, to which I had to reply, well, that's it. There's nobody else. That That is the list. Oh, that's uh, a shame, he said. It probably means we won't be able to cover it. And I then came up with my best ever throwaway line. I simply said to him, well, I'll have a go if you like. It went a bit quiet, I have to say, at his end of the phone. But he uh, he did come back. He said, well, do you think you could? 
And at this point, it went, probably went quiet at my end of the phone, but I'd recently left teaching. And as all teachers will tell you, every lesson, believe it or not, is not immaculately prepared. And so I thought, well, I, I'm sure I can blag this one, uh, particularly as I thought I knew my subject and the players pretty well anyway. So I started off sitting on top of a pile of commentary of uh, television camera boxes down in Ottery St. Mary, down in uh, darkest uh, Devon. And uh, here we are, 30-something years later, and uh, things have got a little bit smarter. And we don't sit on camera boxes too often nowadays, but uh, it's still pretty rough and ready at, at times. But I've been a very lucky boy. Uh, the EHL came on stream, what, 13, 14 years ago now. And uh, I was lucky enough to get that particular gig. And that is probably my, my favourite event of all, certainly in the, in the club side of things. So a fairly uh, strange beginning in many ways, but a very uh, happy one as far as I'm concerned. Well, Nick, that's what life's all about. It's about opportunities presenting themselves and grasping them when they're there. And you've certainly done that. So, Nick, just as a commentator, obviously, as we've discussed, an international scene, it's got to be, like any athlete, the pinnacle of their career achieving the Olympics and with yourself being at London 2012 which was the third Olympics Games after Athens and Sydney can you just kind of describe the feeling of going to such a global event being able to commentate it seeing the world-class players and what the kind of environment is like to those listening in well they call the Olympics the greatest show on earth and uh, it's a fair description of it I think in uh, in many ways I think all of us are, are general sport mad aren't we and uh, Although it was hockey that took me to, to Sydney and to Athens and, of course, to London, uh, one had to take an interest in all the sports and all the things that, that were going on around. In, uh, in Sydney, I had a dual role. I was the FIH-appointed press officer for the tournament, and uh, that really took care of the daytime. And then after the hockey stadium closed down in the evenings at, uh, at Homebush, I would take myself up to the International Broadcast Centre and sit down and record that evening's uh, hockey programme for, for Eurosport. So they were long old days, I can tell you, but uh, when I sit back one day when I'm a really old man and write my memoirs, I would have to say that was probably one of the, uh, the real highlights. Uh, Athens was also great, of course, being at the home of the Olympics, that was very special. And again there I was uh, FIH press officer, although this time uh, I had uh, my great friend Aryan Rahusen alongside me as well. We had a double act, which left me a little bit more time for some uh, some commentary as well. And then the third Olympics, um, the home one, at, uh, down in, uh, in London, where I was actually the stadium announcer, as well as commentating from the Eurosport studios on the other side of London. That was a bit frustrating in some ways because the International Broadcast Centre was actually right next door to, uh, to the Riverbank uh, uh, Hockey Stadium. But I had to travel right across to, uh, to West London to a dark dungeon of a studio to record my, uh, my piece, taking it off the, uh, off the screen. But yeah, all Olympics are special. No, those were... Uh, all special times. The other thing we did in uh, in London, which was uh, innovative and I think uh, something to be proud of for the uh, organisers of the London Olympics, is that uh, I was one of a team of two with uh, 
Howard Bentham, and, and uh, he and I both provided in-ear commentary for the uh, those who are visually impaired, the umpires of this world and so on. So we, we gave a running commentary throughout, and that was fun and a good thing to do. Definitely, Nick. I think being part of that presentation team that delivered stadium announcements and in-ear commentary as part of the London Pledge, uh, to increase the accessibility, the blind and partially sighted sports fans would have been a fantastic gesture as well, you know, just so everyone can feel the emotion and the impact on the game is great. But Nick, just going on, your involvement in the sport has been phenomenal for such a long time, you've said over 30 years. The game, like any sport, evolves through time. What are the major changes you've seen in hockey and what are the major changes that you think have impacted hockey for the positive way? to increase the promotion of enhancing the game to the audience, to the spectator? Well, that's a really good question. So many changes over, over the years. I guess the first fundamental change was the advent of the artificial turf. Before that, playing on grass or wherever you were in the world, different natural uh, surfaces, it was always a battle between the player and the, and the elements. Although I was lucky enough uh, down in England to play uh, my best club hockey, on pretty good surfaces. That wasn't always the case when we went to, to play our away games. And certainly when I first got involved in hockey at school, you were battling against the pitch, you were battling against uh, some pretty poor equipment as well as your opponent. So I guess the, the artificial surfaces would be the main thing uh, in terms of change. But also some of the changes to the rules I think have brought about huge improvements. And I guess historically, again, the most obvious would be doing away with offside, uh, but others as well. And I think with the EHL's innovation of things like the self-pass, these have made uh, huge improvements to the game. Then you have to think about things like the equipment. I was a goalkeeper, and it has to be said, not a very good one. I was described as passable, which was uh, probably about the best it, description anyone could come up with. And the equipment I used to have bore no relationship to the, the stuff that the modern day goalkeeper uh, wears. My kit would start at uh, one weight and would probably be double the weight by the end of the game, particularly if uh, the conditions were wet. So huge improvements, I think, to facilities, to equipment, but almost certainly to the rules as well. Uh, I know a lot of people crave for no more rule changes. And I would probably put myself uh, in that camp, although a little bit of tinkering at the edges, we can never say you've got it right. Um, and if you st stand still, you're often going backwards. So yeah, changes changes are plenty. Most of them though, I think and hope uh, for the good. Definitely, Nick, as you say, I think the real changes recently that have been made to the game, in regards to the self-pass, the, the game now adapting the, the quarters as well are certainly ways to move the game forward, to speed the game up, to make it compelling to the, the spectators and for the players obviously involved need to be the level of fitness, the intensity that they need to train at and obviously as you promote the game through the various levels, certainly to the HL international scene, you know it's a great game to watch, very fast, very exciting and it's very accessible for everyone to tune in now with regards to the kind of broadcasting and channels that it's getting streamed on now. But what I really want to talk to you Nick it's obviously with regards to the EHL, it's been going for 13, 14 years. And I've been fortunate enough myself to have represented Kelburn at every single stage of the EHL. I just want to get your thoughts on the EHL 
uh, as a tournament and what it means to be able to commentate alongside your good friend Simon Mason. Uh, if you can just discuss that, if that's possible, that would be great. Yeah, well, it's never a problem to talk to anyone about the EHL. It's got to be one of the most successful uh, hockey events, the most popular hockey events uh, ever invented. And I've been absolutely delighted and thrilled to, to play a part in it. It was a brave innovation at the time. I remember when it was first announced, uh, I was there for a, a press conference. I think if my memory serves me correctly, we're up in Manchester for the, for the games uh, up there when they announced it. And the world was a very different place because six months later, the financial crash came along. But uh, the EHF and its uh, partners in the EHL, particularly our good friends at ABN AMRO, were strong enough and positive enough to, to get it launched. And away we went. It wasn't an overnight success, I have to say. In the early stages, the crowds particularly were, were poor. But I'm delighted to say that the hockey family is taking it very much to their hearts now and we, we get really good crowd support uh, in. I think the fundamental thing is, is the, just the sheer joy uh, of watching top-class international hockey players playing in their club shirt with all the passion and commitment that any international would be expecting to, to bring to the party at a, a full international game. That, to me, has been remarkable. Uh, so, too, have been the crowds. There's always been a fabulous party spirit in the crowds. And anyone who's been privileged enough to be there, be that as a, as a player, as, as an official, as a spectator, and certainly as a commentator, have been, uh, been very fortunate in, indeed. You mentioned my good friend uh, Simon Mason. Yes, Simon's been alongside me for a good few uh, of the games, particularly in the later stages uh, of the tournaments. And uh, he and I are, are, well, very similar, really. We're both top-class goalkeepers in our time. We, I think we share some over 300 caps between us. I don't have any, but he's got, he's got them, uh, them all. And uh, Simon's become a really good friend, apart from anything else. His, uh, his insight into the modern game and his ability to spot things almost before they happen, sometimes when they don't happen at all, and convey that to, to the public is, is, uh, is legendary. And uh, I hope we make a good team. I, I rather think that we do. And I know that we enjoy each other's uh, company in the commentary box, so we can't wait to get rid of me at the end of the day. Um, yeah, the EHL has been, been really very special. And it's real frustration that this year, of all years, with the uh, the ladies coming into the competition as well, that we find ourselves in this uh, lockdown situation. I have every, uh, every hope that we'll be allowed to go out and play again soon. And my goodness, when we do, it'll be one hell of a hockey party. Oh, Nick, I think yourself and Simon do a splendid job with regards to how you analyse the game and you portray it and put it across to the listeners and the viewers. I think it's great work that you're, you're doing. I think that's not just myself. I think that would be throughout the hockey family that would, uh, would be in agreement with that. And you're right, it's a disappointment this month because of COVID-19 that we're not able to uh, watch or tune into the, the last day of the HL. We said the, the women are now introduced and uh, there's no better stadium, uh, the Wagner Stadium in Amsterdam that would have been packed to the rafters, absolutely jumping in the 
the calibre of player and players that would have been on show would have been fantastic. But Nick, I might just be putting you on the spot here a wee bit, but with your time over the HL and myself coming from Kelburn, is there a memory there or is there anything you could... What was your opinion of Kelburn Hockey Club then and your time of analysing and commentating on the game? Yeah, it was all going so well, wasn't it, really? Uh, yeah, Kelburn and the uh, Euro Hockey League, well, it's been a, a, a wonderful track record that they've had of participation. They've not had the best of luck, I don't think, over the years. Um, but my, I think most of my memories of, of Kelburn's performances, and you'll have to understand that with so many games to cover, they also roll into one a little bit. My, my honest feeling would be that sometimes you've gone there really to contain rather than to show any real ambition to, to get to the later stages of the tournament. And of course, when you look at the resources that you have available to you, I think uh, that, yeah, I can understand that. But what you can always count on with a Kelvin side is, is team spirit. And that's been very much the fore through, uh, throughout the performance. There's been some terrific uh, rearguard actions. And also the scoring of some spectacular goals at the other end uh, as, as well. But I've been intrigued to know what a club like Kelburn, who with, with, I mean, let's, let's be honest about it, with modest ambitions in terms of making it through to the, the final four and coming away with a medal. I can only guess the amount of financial investment that both the club and individuals have had to, to make in playing in the, uh, in the Euro Hockey League and travelling over the years. Two questions from me to you, really. One, how do the players uh, view their experiences? Has it been worthwhile? And I, I guess the second question is, did Kelburn ever think about putting their hand up to, to host one of the, uh, the round one uh, events? Rather like Banbridge in, uh, in Northern Ireland did a few years back in what turned out to be uh, an outstanding uh, tournament in terms of the, the hosting. And it really brought hockey in that part of Ulster to, uh, to life. So turning it on its head and trying to get myself out of your firing line, uh, was, it, was it a worthwhile experiment for, for Kelburn's point of view, a worthwhile investment? And uh, what about hosting? Did it ever crop up in conversation? A very good deflect tactic there you've used, Nick. I'll applaud you on that. Uh, with regards to the EHL, I think it's a fantastic, a fantastic event to be part of, to play. And as you say, with regards to the Dutch, the Germans, the Spanish, the English, you know, all these teams are far beyond our, ourselves. So when we go there, as you said, it's maybe a bit of containment, but it just depends. Maybe the, the tournament itself maybe catered more towards the the bigger teams, the showcase teams that are going to obviously go on to reach the, the last four and play in the final and lift the trophy. Uh, but I think for the development of the players coming through, the young guys, it's a great way even to help the Scottish international team because Kelburn provided so many so many players that would go on and play international level at Scotland. And I think getting that exposure throughout the season and testing your skills because the Scottish League, you know, it's no secret, it won't be as strong as the the Hoof class or the Bundesliga in Germany or the Spanish league. So straight away you are up against it. But without a doubt, when we went there, we'd do our utmost, we'd try, you know, we'd persevere. You've mentioned the team spirit that we had, we've always had that. And you know, and there might be there's times we get through to the last sixteen, uh, which is a great achievement for the club. 
and for so many of the, the players coming through. And it, we were fortunate enough we went on and we won the league 13 times, so we're, we're at the EHL uh, generally every year and always looking to do better, obviously, of course, but within the restraints that we had financially, the standard of the league, the calibre of player that we could attract to our club in general. Uh, so we're up against it, but without a doubt, I would say every every time I represented Kelburn uh, at the EHL, it was an honour to be playing for Kelburn, best club in Scotland, most successful club in Scotland. Uh, and I, I, I think that would be echoed by all all the players that have played for Kelburn and had that exposure. Uh, with regards to hosting the EHL, unfortunately, Kelburn don't have their own, own pitch, which is quite astonishing considering the amount of success that they've had uh, over such a prolonged period of time. Uh, we actually hosted the European B division at Glasgow Green. Uh, Glasgow Green, obviously, you know, the Commonwealth Games was hosted there. It's a fantastic facility and we are very privileged, Kelburn, to have that that chance to play there. And that's an attraction in itself, possibly, to players, knowing that there's a fantastic doorstep uh, with facilities there that you can access and you can play on. Uh, but yeah, it would be great to host such an event. First round would be a great occasion for the club. And that's maybe something down the line that they'd maybe look into uh, hosting. But certainly, yeah, for Kelburn and for Scottish hockey in a whole, and to get the opportunity for world-class players from throughout the world to come over to Glasgow uh, and play would be great. The only thing is possibly the weather. I don't know how they'd travel. <laughs> they certainly wouldn't need their sun cream anyway, so I'm sure it'd be <laughs> umbrellas up, but they'd definitely be a great party at the end of it, Nick. Well, that's a very fair uh, response, uh, Johnny, there. And uh, obviously not having your own ground is a, a huge uh, disadvantage. The advantage that Boundbridge uh, had, Boundbridge had in hosting over in Ulster, was that the uh, Havelock Park was literally just across the, uh, the road from the Boundbridge Academy School that's produced so many great uh, hockey players over the years. And so rolling a tournament out on their club was uh, relatively easy for them. But... Took a lot of hard work. I'm sure you got those sort of people in uh, in your club as well. But uh, who knows? Maybe one day it'll happen for you. And uh, part of the question I was asking is about whether the club as a whole found the investment in the Euro Hockey League was uh, was worthwhile. Did it have any sort of trickle down effect? You're right, Nick. With playing in the EHL, there are financial implications. Uh, it is tough for the smaller clubs, certainly, that maybe don't have the financial backing like the big clubs in Europe. But certainly the way that you'd go about it is through player sponsorship, uh, fundraising events throughout the club throughout the course of the year, uh, where the players would have their own initiative to go out and get a player sponsorship. The club would back them in some financial way as well. And uh, that's, just how, that's generally how you'd fund uh, the EHL kind of trips. You know? So it was a lot, of, a lot of hard effort, but the club were always very supportive to all the players uh, knowing that we were going to represent the club in the EHL. Uh, and I think for all the teams from Scotland that have went there in previous years as well, at Western have been there, uh, Mingus Hill recently, Grange as well throughout their times, these guys will say the same. You know, it is tough, but it's all fundraising events, player sponsorship and to finish off your season and knowing that you've won the league or you've qualified through the playoffs, knowing that the following year 
Uh, you're going to be going, you're going to be up against the big teams, the best players in the world, the best players in Europe. That itself's a carrot. For you personally, one, to go and train well as a club individually, put yourself in the best shape to go and showcase your skills individually and collectively. But also knowing that, you know, if I can get these player sponsorships in, you know, I'm going to go there and I'm going to test myself and it's going to be a great, great time for the club and great to give Scotland that exposure to teams and players representing over there. So it's tough, but without a doubt, I would do it every, every year, no question, to have the opportunity to play over in the HL, like, without a doubt. Well, I have to say, John, it's exactly the, uh, the answer I was hoping you, you'd give to that one. It's uh, it's a privilege to be a part of the EHL, and it's it's great that the, uh, the players recognise that, whatever the outcome at the end of the day. It's just to give a big thank you to everyone that's donated so far for the NHS. We've hit the target of £500, but we're hoping hoping to raise as much as we can this coming week and we'll close it after episode 13. So if everyone can just keep listening in and keep, keep donating, it would be much appreciated. It's all going towards a great cause. Cheers, guys. Like as we've discussed, the NHL is a privilege to go and play there and you've probably got the best seat in the house sitting above everyone else, analysing, speaking on the game. Who are some of your favourite players to watch throughout your time in the HL and maybe currently just now? Well, I rather thought that one might uh, come up, Johnny. So I, I've made a bit of a list, actually, and if I was going to group them together, I'd say they're, they're the crowd-pleasers, because at the end of the day, we're all we're all hockey fans. So for me, I like the players who, who play with a smile on their face, uh, who bring the game to life. So... Well, you have to talk about the likes of Turn de Neuer and Jamie Dwyer, uh, Santi Fresher, uh, Maritz Furster, probably the most competitive uh, player that I've I've known, certainly in, in recent years, who seemed to have the ability to bring his team back into contention from impossible positions. Uh, Florian Fuchs, another great German international, plying his trade these days in the colours of Blumendahl. Uh, as is Arthur van Dorn from uh, from Belgium, a fabulous player, a defender, but with the, the stick skills of, of any attacker you care to mention. Uh, a teammate of his internationally, Loic Leipart. Uh, again, back to the forward line, the likes of Paula Matt and uh, Willie Schickendance. Uh, Rob van der Horst and those surging runs in the colours of, uh, well, as they were in those days, uh, uh, orange black, um, nowadays uh, orange red, of course. Max Grumbush, who is almost like a young version of Morris Furster in uh, so many ways, and the effervescence of the likes of uh, Bob De Vogt, uh, Simon Child when he turned out for Rotterdam, uh, still playing with uh, Rotterdam and scoring goals internationally for club and country for fun. Still, Moritz Herzberger. Mark Knowles in the early stages, the great uh, Aussie defender, um, playing in the colours of Rotterdam. And of course, the uh, the goalkeeping uh, division has been well covered over the years. Uh, Davy Hart, himself no stranger to, to my commentary box. Davy Hart, uh, Kiko Cortes uh, from Spain. So many great players, so many uh, great entertainers. They've made the EHL exactly what it is. The place to go, not not to show how tactically strong you are, but to demonstrate your flair. A 
think that list that you just mentioned there, Nick, typifies EHL. The calibre, the ability of all these players that you've mentioned is tremendous. Known throughout world hockey, and they play the game in the right the right manner, with a smile on their face, showcasing their skills, expressing themselves, pushing it to the limit every time they're representing their club. Some of the players that you mentioned there as well, look Furster, bringing their teams back from defeat to go on to win games. It's just a great, great list of players that you've named there, and I'm sure you could go on and name so many more. But obviously you get the opportunity in your position to interview players. So who are the players with the personality? Who do you like to interview post and pre-match? Who are the kind of guys that will give you a laugh and a good insight to the game? Well, that's a tricky one, uh, Johnny, to be honest with you. And uh, many of the uh, the people you've spoken to, of course, were on that list. And you're absolutely right. I could have come up with another list of a similar length without detracting from the quality. But one thing I would say that in hockey, we're just so lucky to have so many... Uh, articulate players whose passion for the sport comes over every time they open their, their mouths. And that really goes to very much to the heart of our of our game. And with the EHL in particular being a club sport, you can actually see very often it's a, it's a family involvement. There's, a, there's a, a degree of belonging to to the club. Many of the top players have grown up with these clubs, although, of course, we live in... Uh, in an age where there's a little bit more travel now than there used to be, but still an awful lot of routes run pretty deep in uh, European club hockey, and they will they will give everything for the club because it means so much. Um, I I guess you know turn to Neuer, what couldn't he do? He, you know, on the outside turn was quite quiet, a little bit introverted. But uh, on the pitch, he came to life. And if you did put a, a microphone in front of him at the end of a game or indeed before the game, he would uh, he would always speak from the heart. And I guess he's probably been my, my favourite player um, of the last 20 years without any stretch of the imagination. But all the young Germans, too, are just so impressive with their, their command of the English language and... You know, you hear them speaking one moment in, in German, then they'll break into uh, into English and be equally happy, no no break in thought. It uh, makes me very envious. And uh, here uh, here am I struggling with uh, a Scottish accent. It's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But um, no, it's one of the great strengths of the sport. And the other group we've not spoken about, it, well, I always enjoy talking to, have got an awful lot to, to give us, are actually our friends, the umpires. And one of the great things about the Euro Hockey League, I think, is that we've been able to mic the umpires up and we've been able to hear just how they ply their trade during the course of the game and how hard umpires work to keep the players on the right side of the rules. Not to be pernickety about blowing the whistle the whole time, but just to keep the whole game flowing uh, and of just stopping players getting into trouble with themselves. And there's some wonderful characters uh, in the umpiring fraternity as well. And we've seen some pretty good Scots coming through in that area too. So, um, yeah, there would be no EHL without our top umpiring panel, that's for sure. Couldn't agree more, Nick. Uh, with regards to Tundar Royer, I was privileged to play against him once or twice uh, at the national level. And that was an honour just to be on the, the same park as him because there's so many folk growing up. Uh, certainly as a kid, he would have been a role model and still is a role model for those that will either go on to watch archive videos of him or have been fortunate enough to play against him. Just a terrific world-class player uh, playing at the top of the game and 
as we've said previously, played the game in the right the right manner, smile on his face, determined, club man, loyal, hard working, uh, and just a, a pleasure and an honour. These are the kind of guys you need in the game and there's so many throughout world hockey. Uh, and as you've said as well, with regards to the umpire, we had Martin Madden on the podcast a week or so back, and as you say, he's doing very well with uh, Sarah Wilson as well, with regards to the, the women's game. Uh, so they're going on to do great things and umpire and officiate at uh, world level throughout. But one question I've got to ask you, Nick, is venue-wise, you've been commentating at so many venues throughout the world. Is there a favourite venue that you've been able to commentate at yet? Well, that's probably the easiest one of the lot in, in many respects because I would describe it as my spiritual home, really, the, the Wagner Stadium in uh, in Amstelveen. Recently revamped, it's lost none of its charm of the old place that was... Uh, certainly of its of its era the new one is a thing of great beauty it gives uh, wonderful spectator accommodation from the uh, from the stands overlooking the uh, the pitch and uh, behind the scenes in the offices and the change rooms again top class facilities for the backup as well so the wagner stadium is certainly my favorite uh, venue the most spectacular venues though i guess uh, many years ago now over at the gaddafi Stadium in Lahore, and watching the police and rangers beating spectators uh, away from the stadium when too many turned up to watch the game in a Champions Trophy. That was quite different because in England we have to get the police to actually beat people in the direction of the hockey stadium to get them in in the first place, and certainly that was the case in in those days. But I've always got a soft spot as well, you know, for for genuine club venues. And I mentioned Banbridge earlier on, and that was a spectacular hosting of a, a round one of the Euro Hockey League. There's something very special about our, our hockey clubs. And we've been to some great ones over in uh, in France. Uh, we've been hosted by Lille in most appalling weather, but that uh, took nothing away from, from the occasion. Uh, East Grinstead, again, did a really good job uh, in England, which was... Uh, which was wonderful to see uh, over in uh, in Spain, in Igara uh, and in Terrassa, Athletic Terrassa, uh, Real Club de Polo in uh, in the city of Barcelona itself, uh, Campo uh, de Madrid, again, fabulous, fabulous venues. And of course, in, in most recent times, the Belgians have come, come strong in every department of the game, be it playing or being officials or, or, or hosting. Uh, absolutely magnificent uh, facilities over there, and uh, Dragons has, uh, has certainly uh, given me some some happy memories. But uh, I, I guess of, of all my favourite uh, hockey venues, the the two top ones for me would would be uh, the Wagner Stadium number one, because of its international uh, memories as well, and it's where I really started uh, started out as a, as a quasi uh, quasi uh, journalist but also Blumendahl of, of, of course Blumendahl with the sun shining and the uh, the team in orange are playing well takes a bit of beating oh definitely Nick I think some of the stadiums you mentioned there venues are iconic throughout world hockey and certainly the Wagner Stadium no different the opportunity presented itself in the early years of the EHL for Kelburn to play there and that was a joy to play in front of a packed Packed crowd, full to the brim, spectators having the best best weekend ever. Uh, marquee tents everywhere, the pa- party atmosphere, 
brilliant. That's that's how an EHL tournament should be hosted, and so many of the countries host them fantastically well. But during our conversation today, Nick, you can tell from the knowledge that you have of the game, the passion in your voice, uh, the love for the game that you have. But being a commentator, has there ever been any moments where maybe that passion has got a bit too much for you and there's been a the, the commentator's curse or you've got a bit caught up in the game at all? Is there any moments that spring to mind at all? Well, I hope I always get caught up in the game because at the end of the day, that's that's what it's all about, isn't it? I'm just a spectator like uh, like everybody else. But I, I, I suppose the things that spring to mind are not so many curse the commentators, but just odd things that have happened to me. There was one occasion, actually we spoke earlier about the Olympics in, in Sydney and how I was going up from Homebush where the hockey had been played, where I was uh, hosting the media centre for the FIH and then going to the International Broadcast Centre because of the time difference where Eurosport were broadcasting from. And I'd have to commentate uh, off uh, off tube, off the pictures on the TV screen. And one particular night I got in there and, and the guy said, Nick, we're running a bit late. We've had a terrible day technically here. So go and get yourself a, a bite to eat and a, and a cup of coffee and come back. So I didn't need any, uh, any second asking. And I was uh, away down to the canteen and got stuck into a, a bite to eat and a, a cup of coffee. Nothing stronger, you understand. And then got back to the uh, the commentary box and settled myself down and found it was really quite warm. And you know what? I was feeling a little bit tired. And anyway, I, I was aware I got a job to do. So I got all my papers out in front of me. And uh, the uh, producer came on and said, right, Nick, we'll be with you in just a couple of minutes. Now I thought, well, that's great. I, I can manage that. But just as we were about to go on, uh, there was an expletive into my headset. He said, oh, sorry, Nick. We'll have to uh, have to start it up uh, over again. We'll be uh, a li- back with you in a little while. And uh, well, time seemed to s- to slide by, and I might just have dozed off, you know, because the next thing I heard in my headset was him counting me in. We'll be with you, Nick, in nine, eight, seven. And I I came to like a boxer had been uh, punch drunk, and st- was straight into the commentary. Fortunately. And at the end of the thing, I said, you absolute swines, you really stitched me up there. I was fast asleep, you know. And the guy said, well, we thought we could hear some heavy breathing, but we thought you were just winding us up. Well, I wasn't. I was fast asleep. Uh, but we got away with that one. And we got away with it again when Eurosport were doing, I think it was a Champions Trophy. And in those days, to commentate, we all had to go off to the studios in, in Paris. I say all of us because there was a Frank Schlageter, who was a former Dutch, uh, sorry, a former German indoor goalkeeper. Tim Stain, still a great friend of mine, who was a former Dutch international member of the Klein Switzerland Club, still a, a broadcast journalist in the Netherlands, uh, and myself. And we went around like the Three Musketeers, and we'd have a have a meal beforehand, and uh, yeah, we might have had a, a, a glass of beer as well, and we'd go and do the the commentary before going back to the hotel. Well, on this particular day, things were going pretty well. We were all in a line there. And then towards the end of the game, suddenly my screen went blank. Well, the name of the game was that we never really told people, or I think most people must have guessed, that we weren't at the venue, but in the studio in, in, in Paris. So I couldn't suddenly say, oh, sorry, I can't come to anymore because I can't see anything. So I was aware that if I stood up, 
I could see over Tim's shoulder. Tim isn't the tallest of players. He was uh, a giant on the pitch, but, but not off it. And so I could see through a glass partition over his shoulder and commentate off his screen. And I guess those are, those are my two sort of strange moments in the commentary box. I'm sure there have been others that people will, will, will mention. I mean, so many, uh, so many mistakes during the course of a game that there are too many and far between. And you have to have an automatic white button. Otherwise, you'd, uh, you'd never work again, probably. And I never, or at least if not never, very rarely uh, go back and, uh, and look at games and analyse what went well and what, uh, and what didn't. I let other people tell me that. Nick, I've only really got one last question to ask you. It's been great interviewing you today. But with regards to BT Sport, they're now showcasing the FIH Pro League games, men and women. And with hockey now, it's getting promoted at various levels. It's accessible so easy at a touch of a button. So many competitions that you can tune into. Where do you see hockey being in the next five years, in your opinion? Is it on that positive trend? Well, thanks, uh, Johnny. It's been a real pleasure to have the chance to talk to you uh, this afternoon. And... As I say, congratulations on this uh, fantastic uh, venture, this uh, small team you've put together up there in doing this and keeping us all out of mischief during this uh, this lockdown. Yes, the Pro League has <laughs> not had the best of luck, has it, with, uh, with weather? They talked in the early stages about setting out to be chasing the sun, but it ended up being more of a storm-chasing uh, exercise, I think, a lot of the times. And certainly the the storm that has been the coronavirus has has knocked it into the long grass, and it's very hard for me from my seat here in uh, in Oxfordshire to see a, an easier way out. And I don't envy the uh, the FIH who have to somehow come up with uh, a sensible solution to all this. I mean, my own feeling is that this season is is over and done with, and uh, as with so many sports, it's going to have to be a a case of uh, an abandonment but where that leaves it going forward and its various television contracts uh, contracts including bt it's anyone's guess i guess the tv moguls will have to assess uh, what we've shown them so far and uh, pick the bits out of that i think there've been some terrific pluses and i'd pick out the uh, the stoop uh, in london with the the bought in pictures potentially being one of those pluses I was lucky enough last season to be involved in all of the Dutch uh, home games and we had lots of sellout events over there in uh, in Kampong in Utrecht in in Rotterdam uh, in Den Bosch and uh, in Amsterdam as well so you'd have to say that was a success but on the other side of that you look at crowds in in Germany and uh, to an extent in Australia as well and and China and the United States haven't been that great. So I think probably there needs to be a bit of a rethink. The world is not going to be the same again after this pandemic, whatever uh, we might hope and wish for. And I think one of the factors that's going to, to be brought to play here is that if I believe some of what I read in the papers, I certainly don't believe everything, then the days of cheap air flights are probably now going to be beyond us. And an already very expensive travelling uh, bill for the teams is going to become even more expensive. And I think that might well take it out of the range of a number of the teams currently participating. 
so maybe maybe we'll come up with something new maybe it needs to be done by hemisphere or how about the idea of a all european pro league which would obviously cut down dramatically on the amount of traveling concerned um well we'll have to see on that one i guess but looking forward i just hope the next few years don't see any loss of uh, olympic status again a bit of a hot topic i'm firmly uh, in favor of hockey remaining as an 11 aside olympic sport i think you know whatever the the financial uh, side of it is i i think hockey's pedigree is an olympic sport we're much closer to the the roots of the old olympic ideals than than most sports and i think we firmly deserve to be there in terms of the european hockey league i hope we can continue to go from strength to strength the first thing we need to do is to to get the uh, the women now firmly established in the ways of uh, of the ehl playing with the same sort of freedom and and joy in their hearts and i think that's an, a, a bit of a low-hanging fruit an easily achievable goal that one i wonder whether down the line we might even look at a two-tier euro hockey league for uh, for clubs just below the current uh, uh, level with maybe promotion and uh, relegation at stake as as well i also hope we're going to see some uh, recognition in terms of the calendar for the game of indoor it was uh, indoor that took me up uh, north of the border in the days of the glenfiddich when uh, i was involved up there doing some uh, some commentary work and some reporting and what a fabulous tournament that was in the days when indoor hockey was particularly strong in uh, in Scotland. Um, I'd also like to say in the new calendar that we uh, we produce in our new perfect world after uh, COVID-19, there'll be no international clashes so that the clubs can actually get on and play their play their their players in the, the key games. But uh, what hockey really needs of course is more commercial partners and uh, therefore that would give more support to our hard-working clubs who i suspect will uh, be even more important when all of this uh, episode is behind us and club life returns i'd also like to see a few more surprises i think you touched on earlier on when you were saying that the ehl was perhaps geared up to the more successful sides to do well so i often toy with the idea of what an open draw would would do so you had a real david and goliath where you know sides were starting with uh, the old adage you've got nothing to lose i'd like to see that a little bit more risk perhaps in that but for the time being i guess uh, johnny stay safe stay uh, stay at home promote the uh, the nhs and uh, and save lives and uh, i look forward to meeting you again one day on on the other side of all this thanks for having me on again for today Nick it's been a privilege to get the opportunity to interview you uh, a great insight to your career as a commentator at all the venues throughout the world from the Olympics to the EHL it's been great hopefully you've enjoyed your time as well this has obviously been released as a bonus episode uh, with regards to the cause that we are trying to raise as much money for the NHS as possible we smashed that £500 barrier and hopefully we'll go on and raise so much more so thanks again for today Nick uh, stay safe and I look forward to catching up with you in a future EHL trip.